Centrally Speaking is the Central Schwenkfelder Church's podcast. It speaks about issues that would be of interest to our society. In particular, it addresses how a Christian worldview intersects with Western secular culture. In the spirit of the church's founder, we take the perspective of the middle way, which is in agreement with the historic Christian church. I'm Dr. Drake Williams, Minister of Mission and Theology at the Church. Our website is www.cscfamily.org. Today we're going to speak about artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is the ability of a computer program or a machine to think and learn. It is also a field of study which tries to make computers smart. They work on their own without being encoded with commands. The applications are multiple as this field is influencing healthcare, the automotive industry, finances, cybersecurity, government, law, the military, and even video games, just to name a few. Today I'm joined by Dr. Michael Maravito, who is Assistant Professor of Computer Science at Eastern University. He did his PhD in Mechanical Engineering from Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania in 2019, and a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Eastern University in St. David's, Pennsylvania in 2015. He is also conducting research in Brownian dynamics of soft matter systems, computational biophysics, membrane-based gas separation, and water desalination module design. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you at the show. Thanks for having me on. Why don't we start with a a definition of artificial intelligence? Uh, Can you um, provide one for our listeners today? Yeah, I I, I like the definition that you gave generally. So firstly, I think that what's important to know is that artificial intelligence is a broad term that encompasses many different techniques, uh, but generally it can be thought of as any sort of uh, artificial computational system that shows intelligent behavior, like you said. Um, so, you know, just complex behavior that is conducive towards reaching goals. Also, I think it's important to make the distinction that there are, generally speaking, two types of AI. So there's a, a narrow AI uh, and, an, and an artificial general intelligence, right? So, so this idea of a narrow AI, uh, well, that's, that's something that has limited abilities, right? So, so this could be just a software system or, or a software system combined with, with hardware to form some sort of autonomous system. Um, but, but this narrow AI is really good or it excels at a particular problem solving or reasoning task, right? So, so something that's narrowly uh, skilled, something like Siri or Alexa that we're well familiar with. Now, the other sort of general uh, artificial intelligence, this is, this is more of a hypothetical uh, machine that has the capacity to learn any intellectual task that uh, a human being could do. And, and where we are now, we're still years and if not decades off away from that sort of uh, artificial general intelligence. But it's, it's important to understand those two distinctions. And, and in terms of narrow AI, that's the here and now, right? We, we see things, some examples, like I mentioned, Siri, Alexa, Tesla, Roomba, uh, Netflix, Facebook. These are, these are all uh, companies and technologies that are very much implementing techniques uh, that would fall under the category of narrow AI. Okay, so you're then saying that if with these two definitions, at least a narrow um, artificial intelligence, so most of us have already been exposed to, to this, and uh, on a daily basis, if we're let's say Facebook users or uh, yeah, or yeah, watch yeah. Netflix, absolutely. And and let's let's unpack this a little bit more here. So, 
before I, I go into a specific example, let me give perhaps a more uh, specific definition. So, so artificial intelligence is the study of an agent that is able to receive percepts from an environment and execute appropriate actions that would otherwise require some level of human intelligence. So let me let me put that in different words here. So AI is the study of an intelligent machine, right? And again, it could be software or it could be software married to hardware. And this system is able to sense uh, stimuli or or data within its environment. And th- and that's that may be subtle, but that's important to understand that these systems exist within an, an environment and may give you different results in a you know the same question, if you will, may give different results in one environment from another. But based on the the input data that this system is able to sense, it's able to execute appropriate actions that require some degree of human intelligence, right? So, so let's look at Siri for the example, right? And and I would make the claim that there, in general, there are three tasks that Siri has to execute in order to uh, have a successful interaction with Siri. So you pull out your uh, Siri, of course, is is the um, the voice recognition software, as well as natural language processing uh, software that comes standard on, on iPhones, right? So, so you pull out your your iPhone and you you press the home button, and Siri asks you, you know, what can I help you with? And um, so the first thing that Siri has to do is it has to listen to you, and take that audio signal and turn it into text. And and it turns out that this is not actually a super challenging problem. It it, it is a a difficult engineering problem, but it's not a super, it's, it's not an AI problem. It's not a computer science problem. And, and actually, it can kind of be simply done using some mathematical transforms that essentially take a, a use pattern matching, and it takes an audio wave and, and simply matches the pattern of that audio wave to a word. Okay, so, so that's the first thing. It, is, it has to turn your, your audio into, into textual data. And let's go to the third, the third task that Siri needs to execute. So Siri needs to have a, a, a large knowledge base, a database of just facts. You know, uh, Who won the Phillies game on Thursday? How many inches away is the moon from Earth? Uh, what is the temperature outside right now? Right? All of these, these facts that are objective and, and have answers, Siri needs to have access to that in order to supply you with answers to questions that you may have, right? Or, or it has to have databases of songs to play for you or so on and so forth. Um, and this is also not the challenging part, right? This is, you know, it, it may be an engineering problem to build such a database of that sort, but it's not an AI problem. The second task that has to be completed by Siri, now that's that's where the interesting things happen, right? So, so after step one, what you've got is you've got the user's question or the user input in textual form. And before you're able to answer that user's question with you know, some of the facts that they're requesting, you have to take that, that syntax, those words that have been taken from the user, and you have to extract meaning from them. You have to extract the semantics of what the user is asking. And this is the interesting part of the problem. This is what artificial intelligence is is trying to do. Is it's trying to extract semantics from syntax. It's trying to ex- extract the meaning of what we say or the meaning of what we write from the form of how we write those things. Um, and so, this is this is somehow gets at the idea of what it 
what it means to be human um and and is is that notion of of abstraction and under, being able to understand the meaning of 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 the things that we say and write um and so to be able to train a, a computer system or an artificially intelligent system to do that um that that's the discussion that's what we're talking about here so uh, maybe simplifying a, a little bit to me you're, with artificial intelligence we're talking about making machines to be like people right is to, that fair yeah absolutely yeah yeah and and so one of the questions we could ask um, is, could machines ever be more intelligent than human beings? Okay, well, let me ask you, what, what do we mean by intelligence? What does, it mean for, what does it mean for a machine to be more intelligent or less intelligent than a human? What does intelligence mean? I, I guess the question is, could that Siri device, could that ever be human? What's, what's different about me asking Siri a question and it trying to interpretate or you know extract the meaning from what I ask it what's what's different about Siri than if I were to ask you the same question you know what what is the temperature outside and and these sorts of questions get at the 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 interesting debates and topics in AI is what is it what does it mean to be sentient what does it mean to be human what does it mean to be intelligent to be conscious um, and can these systems ever exhibit such things one of the main questions that I have are, could we ever create systems that are, have such a thing? And the, and the answer, of course, I, I would say is no. How'd you get involved with, with this type of uh, study? So uh, I'm not doing any active research uh, in, in the AI field right now, but I uh, was first introduced to the field in grad school um, where I earned my PhD in mechanical engineering. Uh, essentially, at that time, we were researching uh, a protein called von Willebrand factor, uh, which is pivotal in the blood clotting process. Um, most humans have it. If you don't, you have uh, you're you're very likely to have some sort of blood clotting disease. Um, but in short, what we were doing is we were performing uh, Brownian dynamic simulations of this protein to try to elucidate its behaviors as it flows throughout the body. Uh, so we performed these simulations and and got out of these simulations very complex data that was hard to understand and it's it's hard to analyze that data. So we used um, machine learning algorithms, which is very closely related to artificial intelligence. Uh, but we learned some machine lear used some machine learning algorithms to try to better understand our results and extract patterns that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to see to help us answer the question, uh, essentially, what does this protein need to look like? What does the general macromolecular structure of this protein need to look like in order for it to uh, facilitate its uh, responsibilities in the blood clotting process, right? So that, that was the question we were asking, and, and we used some artificial intelligence algorithms to help us do that. What are some of the more uh, fascinating discoveries about in this field that some of our listeners would be well familiar with? Popular uh, in our culture now is a discussion about self-driving cars. And um, one fascinating discovery that I've been following uh, is, is just self-driving cars. And in 2014, uh, Google made the first uh, self-driving car to pass a state driving test, and that was in Nevada. And we've made tremendous uh, improvements since then. I'm, I think of companies like Tesla, um, just how far that they've come in that technology. Uh, also, I've been filing um, – are, are you familiar with the, the – it's an ancient Chinese game called Go? No, I'm not. So th this is – it's ancient. It's thousands of years old. It's it's a game called Go. It's played on a board with stones. Um, it's a 19 by 19 board, and um, stones are played on the 
the vertices of this these 19 by 19 grid uh and it's an incredibly difficult game the the possible move space so how many moves you could make in this game there's there's something like 10 to the 137 uh possibilities so it's 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 far too large of a system uh to be fully known by any any algorithm so the reason i think this is interesting is because um the late some of the latest advancements in artificial intelligence have been with this game and although those advances have just been in a game the techniques that uh they have employed to bring mastery uh, of these algorithms uh, in playing this game are transferable to other technologies. So, so uh, there's actually a documentary out right now. Uh, I believe it's called AlphaGo, and it's a whole story about the the technology, the artificial intelligent algorithms that have gone into this work to create algorithms that can excel at the game of Go. So if you want to check that out, that would be Google's DeepMinds AlphaGo. So AlphaGo is the name of the algorithms that, that beat the world champion in, in the, the Go game. Also in 2019, a company called OpenAI, which created a, a robot hand to solve a Rubik's Cube puzzle with tremendous dexterity. And um, this, is, this is a cool topic here because it... it aligns with your previous definition of artificial intelligence where some of these algorithms you are able to use these algorithms without ever explicitly writing some computer programming so so what what that looks like is essentially you you have a you have a machine and you you give the machine some information uh the machine takes that information and tries to make a decision right go left or right or choose yes or no um and it it doesn't necessarily have any basis for making that decision, but it will choose one option or the other. Uh, and based on that option, the the programmer is able to tell the machine whether it did a, a good job or a bad job. And based on this system of, of receiving information, making a decision, you know, taking some action, and then being told if that decision was good or bad, the machine can eventually learn, just like humans learn, to consistently make the right choice. And so this is a branch of artificial intelligence called... Um, reinforcement learning and reinforcement learning is what was used to train this robot hand uh, to have such tremendous dexterity in solving a a Rubik's cube with one hand Um, and the interesting thing about that too is that all of that training actually occurred in simulation and not in the real world so they fully developed uh, software that would enable a, a robotic hand to manipulate a Rubik's cube and solve it without ever practicing in the real world. The first time that they tried it, it, it just worked, um, which is pretty incredible to me. So it it sounds like from what you've been saying that uh, uh, machines can be more intelligent than some of us, a good percentage of the population. For example, uh, not all of us uh, can drive uh, a car right now. Either we're too old or we're too young a larger percentage of the the population can't solve a Rubik's cube with two hands, let alone one hand. So you're saying that these, uh, that artificial intelligence is truly very intelligent indeed. Well, how do you define intelligence? I guess I'd say it's the uh, ability to assess a a situation in front uh, of one, uh, uh, to be able to evaluate it, and then to react and respond in an appropriate fashion. So this is this is a huge topic in the field, and and what what constitutes an intelligent machine? 
Um, and actually kind of the benchmark test in the field is what's known as the Turing test, which was established by Alan Turing um, in the 50s. And actually, Turing proposed that the test would be natural language, um, and that if a machine could understand natural language, that would be a good measure to test if it was truly intelligent or not. And so um, Turing explains that there's, there would be actually what is called the imitation game, um, an evaluator, and this evaluator would be a, a human, and th that evaluator would be blind to two other people. Uh, well, excuse me, one other person would be a human, and another would be a machine. And basically, the evaluator would be able to communicate with this other person and with the machine only through uh, text, so perhaps a keyboard and a monitor to communicate with these two other, you know, the person and, and the machine. And the Turing test is if the evaluator cannot reliably tell the difference between who is the human and who is the machine, then the machine passes the Turing test and is, would be considered as intelligent. Um, and since then, actually, the field has also developed what is called the total Turing test, which kind of uh, extrapolates that idea to also include spoken word, right? So if you could have a conversation with a machine and not be able to distinguish who the human is and who, who the machine is, then that would be a truly intelligent to seen uh, machine. Uh, and also, fairly, there's also been the, the truly total Turing test, which kind of adds a layer on to that as well. And these uh, machines can be very uh, intelligent. It seems to me that they can be used for good and it can be used for evil. Why don't we talk about uh, some of the good right now and interviewing you during the time of uh, the coronavirus and uh, the uh, lockdown we're having in this area. Uh, can artificial intelligence be used uh, to help treat uh, human beings that are suffering from this virus right now? Yeah, so there's two ways that I kind of think about this question. There's one in the, in the, the sci-fi AI way of thinking of this artificial general intelligence machine that is a, a nurse robot, right, and is able to take care of us. And, of course, we're not there yet. But what I would like to say about that is that Christians shouldn't be afraid of that idea, right, and that all of AI, these are, these are tools that we are creating, and we are creating these tools. They could be used for good, and they have good application, and, and they have harmful application. And to cast that into other words, these tools can be used for human flourishing, or they can be used in ways to that 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 hurt human flourishing, and and generally speaking, the idea of having some sort of cyborg nurse, although it's in the future, decades or more years out, that is not something that Christians should be fearful of, and that is something that I think that we need to be em embracing, but be very aware and cautious of the ways that this sort of technology could be misused. Right. So so that's one thing I'll say. Uh, secondly, I'd say. A lot of the there's a lot of modeling, statistical modeling, mathematical modeling, and 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 modeling done with these algorithms, and the models that have been created through machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms, those certainly should be trusted and ha are very informative in trying to understand the spread of the coronavirus and and modeling of infectious diseases. So so. Uh, clearly, that is that is a phenomenal way of using some of these tools, right, is to better understand the spread of, of these diseases. Oh, then you could use it to then, let's say, to theoretically uh, uh, create modes of transportation that uh, wouldn't wreck one with another, right? I right. mean, that would be uh, 
uh, a means uh, that would be pos positive uh, to send uh, uh, in a representative uh, into a, a ward that is filled with uh, a virus, a highly contagious virus. Uh, if you had a, a artificial intelligence, uh, you could do that, uh, correct? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And 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 I, I don't think anyone sees an issue with that. And, and, and that is a good implementation of, of these technologies. But I think it's easy to see just a short step away that you could create just just as though you could have an autonomous caregiver, which is what mm -hmm. we're describing. You could also have an autonomous weapon. And so I think these this starts to touch on some of those ethical ramifications of what artificial intelligence is. And, and the idea of a lot of these times with, you know, with A.I., it could just be software, but it's also typically coupled with hardware to create these autonomous systems. And what do Christians think about having an autonomous weapon? Right. I mean, this is is there just war? This is a whole theological discussion that we could get into on its own merit. But um, this is why Christians need to be involved in this this field. Right. We can't just we need to be sure that as a society, we're not we're not creating uh, a duality where, you know, there's church and there's choir and there's there's your church community over here in one one party life and there's science and politics and everything else over here and and those two are, are separate we need to make sure that we're not doing that but but rather that we have christians working in the field of artificial intelligence and that and that we have people who are designing systems in in such a way that um hopefully they won't be used for such egregious uses um such as autonomous weapons and, and things of that nature so artificial intelligence uh, could lead to a good decision but then it could also lead to a bad decision if we leave um, robots, uh, machines, uh, and the ability to think for themselves. Furthermore, if it's programmed by somebody who has morals, it might lead one direction. If it's programmed with some by somebody who doesn't have morals, it could lead to another. Can you speak to that at all? So ethics in this. Yeah, all of these systems, right? Artificial intelligence systems are, in the end of the day, they are decision-making systems, right? They make decisions and take actions. So who, whose decisions are they, right? When, when a machine makes a decision, who bears the responsibility for the results of that decision? And I think that is where the real discussion is had. So there's, there's no doubt that we as society, we of course could create an AI system that's capable of killing. We of course could create an AI system that's capable of, of misleading people. Uh, of of being of preying on them right and but the question is not if we could create these but is there ever a permissible scenario where killing using ai would be okay is there ever a permissible scenario where some sort of uh, you know another act would be okay and i think that that is the ethical debate imagine fighting wars with fully autonomous systems against people who plausibly would not be able to do that right sure it it, it may minimize the loss of life but is that an honorable way to fight war is that if if fighting war is okay is that how christ would have us fight war where the one group has no risk and the other group bears much risk right where where somebody flying a a, a drone can't be hurt but but the person on the other end can some of the other ethical issues related to ai are privacy and surveillance right so so these models, generally speaking, are, are trained using enormous data sets. 
And these data sets often in include information about you and I, right? Things that are taken from our Facebook accounts or Amazon, all of, all of these different areas, right? So, so imagine with me the scenario where there's a model, an AI, an AI algorithm that's trained using a huge data set that incorporates our data. So imagine a, a malicious user, um, and, and this has actually been shown that what a malicious user can do is take that, that model that's been trained using an enormous data set and query that model or give it some input parameters in such a way that it's able to find out identifying characteristics about the training data set. What that means is there could be companies like Facebook and, and Google that are using our data to train models and then making those models pub publicly available. And the problem is that some bad actors could take those models and get information about you and I. And so what if, what if the model that was used, hypothetically, contained our names, our social security numbers, and maybe our credit card numbers, right? So, so it is possible to, from the back end, work out identifying information about you and I, right? So that this is why privacy and surveillance in these systems is such a big discussion. And I mean, you can also look at the mass surveillance that China has implemented of its people. Um, and in fact, just last month, uh, a Chinese company said that it has developed facial recognition technology that can identify people uh, even when they're wearing a mask, right, during coronavirus. That, that's astounding, right? That that there's a, a facial recognition software that can only see the a third of your face and still identify who that person is. That's that's incredible. So the uh, becomes then important for those with a moral backbone not to sit on the sideline for this. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's why we need to get we need to engage in the conversation now before these problems are already full blown in society. Right? And what does what does that mean to engage in the conversation? And and where would people with a moral backbone do so. That is why we need people to who are going to get higher educations, and that's why they need to come to Eastern to do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, that's kind of that's kind of we need Christians that are going to go get higher educations and and we need Christians that are going to go be in this field and design these technologies. Um, you know, there, there are end users of these systems and there are developers of these systems. And we need to make sure that we're, we're getting godly people developing these systems. And for those uh, who uh, don't have the opportunity to get an education in this, what do you feel that, um, say, the church's role ought to be in this? Are you saying, uh, suggesting not only support, but uh, are you suggesting other means? Yeah, it's just to at least engage in conversation and not allow this to be a topic that is something other than church, something outside of church, but rather that, that the church is relevant. We are here today and that we are going to face the issues of today head on and talk about them and, and not let them be something other. That is what I mean to say. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mike, for being our uh, guest today. And thank you to our listeners, uh, to listening to uh, Centrally Speaking, a broadcast ministry from the Central Schwenkfelder Church here in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Our website is www.cscfamily.org. If you're in the area, we invite you to our Sunday morning services, a traditional service at 9 o'clock a.m. with organ and various choirs. Our praise team leads a contemporary service at 1035. Sunday school, where we talk about issues uh, such as this, um, uh, happens at 9 and 10.30 for adults, and there's a youth Sunday school at 9 o'clock uh, a.m. We warmly welcome you to join us.